0: Okay, welcome back, everyone, to another Sporting Blog podcast. We've had the summer off. Um, I've had commitments with horses running around a track. Um, That went fine. And I think now it's time to get back into the detail with some more interesting stuff. And obviously in the news recently, um, most of you would have found it hard to avoid the uh, fairly high-profile takeover of uh, Newcastle United Football Club by... Amanda Stavely and PCP partners, heavily backed, if not controlled by the uh, Public Investment Fund of of Saudi. Uh, We've got the great chance to talk to Dr. Tom Basson of Coventry University um, about the deal. Um, But I think, like many average football fans, might be interested to see exactly what it means. But before we get into that, Tom, how's it going?
1: Yeah, very good. Thank you.
0: Uh, pleasure to be on here no thanks for taking the time to uh, to speak to us it's um i think this is the hidden side of stuff for a lot of football fans that they like to get into and of course most of us as fans kind of spend our time bemoaning the way that football clubs finances are utilized and spent and so on as a spurs fan i have to deal with that every day um Tom, I just want to start. So we're going to ignore the ethical side of, of the deal. Um, that is what it is. That's not really what we're here for. Um, first question I guess I have for you, um, or or, or, a, or a sort of discussion point, is, is how good a value is the deal? Because, you know, we know that people or, or organisations or companies get involved with buying football clubs for a variety of reasons, whether it's a property deal... Uh, or whether there's a brand deal to do like PSG and Qatar, or creating a global empire like City Football Group, um, first off, why, why do you think that well let's forget about PIF and Amanda, but why do you think that anyone would want to buy Newcastle United Football Club and, and at a 300odd million pounds, is it an amazing deal?
1: It's an interesting question and one that I haven't really. Considered before, so you, you you've got me you got me thinking now. I mean, I guess at, it was a club that was available for sale, one that the um, owner was obviously very very happy to to sell. It's a club that has potential, being from a single a single city club with quite a, a strong fan base. Um, so it has the, there is certainly the potential for for growth there I mean it's a Premier League club for a start so you've got those guaranteed revenues every year you know you've got your TV deal of 100 odd million every year guaranteed um, it's a club that's been profitable over the last three years um, which will be important for um, the Premier League profit and sustainability rules so clubs that if they have taken over Everton for example a club that are very much straining the limits of those rules then there would be constraints as to how much can be spent. With Newcastle, it's probably a club that's, um, if they want to come in and spend money, they, they can do. I guess it's, all, it's also a club that has heritage in England. Um, you know, going back to Jackie Milburn and league titles in the, in the 50s through to, you know, the early 90s when I was growing up watching football and the Kevin Keegan era and the signing of Alan Shearer through to um, Bobby Robson and and players and manager, you know, such such as him. Obviously, since then, it's not quite been the same, but it's it's a club that's known in England and quite high profile in England. Less so internationally, I guess, less so in Europe, but in terms of the clubs that are available, it's um, a club that's got
0: the basic needs, you'd have thought? Yeah, so I guess a lot of people listening, the millions that do listen to this podcast, um, will wonder why Newcastle, of course, single market club, big market club, in you know, the only one there, give or take, you know, there's some people down the road. Um, but I think a lot of people will be asking, Tom, you know, to buy, you, you've already quoted a figure there, £100 million revenue a year from Premier League alone let alone all the other stuff you know 300 million pounds or whatever it was 310 it's not a massive buy to buy a premier league club with a stadium six miles ish no it's not even six miles it's about three miles out of the city center with all the other great things you said i mean it feels to me like a steal to buy a business like that yeah i absolutely don't don't disagree you know if you look
1: at how much you know someone like neymar cost you know cost PS, psg and you think that you're getting a club with um all the all those assets that, that, you, that you've mentioned that yeah it seems like a very good deal. i mean it needs investment as a club um thrives i think but yeah i think 300 million seems a, a very reasonable a very reasonable deal
0: well it's like um i think a lot of people you know especially if you're a, a, a sort of a group like uh, PCP uh, and with the PIF behind them, it's almost like an entry fee. But you're not what you're not doing is trying to buy Chelsea, let's say, where you've got uh, an unbelievably expensive fixed cost asset in this wonderful stadium, albeit limited in the middle of London. Uh, but what you do have is the you know one of the most famous stadiums in England and all the rest of it. Do you think? there's any side of the deal there that is looking at what they can do with the physical assets they buy because we've seen obviously I'm a Spurs season ticket holder for full disclosure and they have obviously bought the club and turned it into a you know an amazing property thing uh, and, and then some sort of tradable brand asset on top but really it's a property deal um, do you think there's something of that in it for Stavely and PIF? I mean Owning a stadium in Newcastle, the only one, the biggest one, the most famous one, they could turn that into something quite special up there. I would have thought.
1: I mean, if you look at what um, has happened in East End of Manchester since the, um, the the Abu Dhabi Group took over there, that they've heavily invested in that in that local community. And I know, I know that you said before about not touching on the ethical side of things, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them invest very much in that region as almost a CSR type strategy to build you know boost an an economy that's a local economy that's not the strongest that's had you know issues over over the years to to really invest money into an area that at times has been a little bit deprived a stadium that's old and is in dire need of um, renovation and work being done to it and given that none of that spend will be restricted by any sort of financial fair play regulations, I think they'll do They'll do something. You'd have thought that they'd look to do something similar and then perhaps use that as the base for, yeah, Abu Dhabi, for um, PIF, perhaps to then expand further within the UK, maybe.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I think what um, what is now City Football Group did in Manchester and then obviously beyond was to try and show local people, or the people that live locally anyway, that they were prepared to invest in the area as a whole. And, and Spurs, in some ways, have done that too. The regeneration of the area has been one of the great things that they bang on about. Most fans that go day-to-day don't kind of see it or agree with it, but it's there. Um, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's one of the most iconic stadia. Um, but it's been the same since you mentioned Alan Shearer and the 15 million pound record transfer fee some time back. It hasn't really changed since. It's always just been St James's Park, difficult place to go, great team, and all the rest of it. But they've yo-yoed. Um, I think it it feels to me like you know you couldn't really maybe maybe Leeds or, or one or two other Sheffield Wednesday, maybe you couldn't really pick a better place to go and just stamp your authority on something new.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. I think that it's obviously Man City were probably of a, a similar point in the you know late two thousands. You'd had all that investment into sport in Manchester with the Olympic Games bids in the nineties and then the Commonwealth Games. Commonwealth Games yeah. um, you had a lot of focus on sport within the city, so that was also there ripe for the um, for that investment to go in and make a difference and really build Manchester up into a city for sport. You know, with the the swimming and the, and the velodrome and everything that happened there within that short period of time. You know, if you think about probably from United winning the Champions League in 99, the 10 years through to the Abu Dhabi group taking over with the Commonwealth Games sandwiched in the middle, you know, as a city, as a a European global sports city, Manchester very much put itself on the map, I think. Um, So obviously I don't think Newcastle will have that same sort of opportunity for that. Um, because obviously, it being just the one club limits. It's an it's an opportunity for them with it being one a one um, club city, but then it means you don't have that dual aspect sure. and they're not going to be hosting any um, Commonwealth Games or anything like that anytime soon. Um, but yeah, it's, it seems to me like it's it's an ideal opportunity to to go in and, and make a difference.
0: And I think I think the starting point, you know, it doesn't always have to be the starting point. If you're looking at the Premier League as a whole, and yeah, clubs go up and down and come and go, they're still a very big brand. You know, no matter how their performance is, Newcastle United is a big brand, and I think that comes back to the fact that it is a one club city. You know, for a smallish market city-wise, it's a big market when you're there. Um, and yeah, look, I just can't get past the 300 million thing because you know any business that gets 100 million pounds in revenue you know, generally it would be at valued EBITDA at 4.54 or whatever. I know there's all sorts of other considerations, but, you know, from, from the PIF point of view and from Amanda Stavely's point of view, it's probably a no-brainer in terms of the investment. Now, my question to you, which is really interesting is, and I guess this is like outside of finance for a second, but, I mean, have you ever seen anything like the hysteria of the fans outside of ground in your life after they did this deal? I mean, this is bizarre. Like, you're talking about people from Newcastle, diehard fans, going crazy about a foreign owner coming in. I guess it's for 14 years of, or whatever it is, of stagnation. But, I mean, this is also an interesting point that maybe they knew the fans would come along with them. There's no there's no sort of scepticism here. They were just having to get rid of Mike that they're going to be loved for a while, no matter what happens. That's quite a big thing, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know what happened last year in summer 2020 when it was first mooted very much showed them that there was an appetite there from the Newcastle fans. I mean last summer you had um, Newcastle fans criticising Amnesty International for what they were saying. and so it, it was very, very obvious that the Newcastle fans would anyone who was going to come along and show a modicum of interest in investing in, in the club and in the team, I think was always going to be very much welcomed with, with open arms. Up there, but you are. It's not like any, anything, anything that I've seen before. I mean, I'm a, um, I'm a Wolves fan, and when we had not similar, but fans were very disgruntled with uh, Steve Morgan, who was um, our owner, and when Fosun, the Chinese conglomerate, took us over, in um, 2016, I think that was. It was, yes, this, you know, this is a good opportunity. They're going to invest um, money. They're going to bring in new ways of doing business. There's going to be no- knowledge. And we're going to be involved in, you know, their other businesses. But there wasn't the same sorts of adulation as we've seen on the TV over the last couple of days.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, obviously, I would suggest that most of it's fueled by getting rid of Mike. Yeah. Um, and that I think they, they wanted that for so long that they probably almost wouldn't care who came in. And of course, it does help when the people coming in have untold riches. Let's Um just like dial into that for a second, because I think that. You know, most people are going to have this. I saw this ridiculous video the other day that Sport Bible or someone did of a, of a FIFA uh, mock-up of the Newcastle United team in the next year or two, which is great. Um, but let's look at the financial fair play, because this is probably your bit. I mean, realistically, uh, we're probably past the era of you're now sponsored by Saudi Airways, here's £200 million. So what do you think, especially in year one, they could realistically do to, to move it on? Do you think they'll look to go team investment or, as we just touched on, do you think they'd start to look at the infrastructure of the club first? Because you know, if you've got your business head on, players come and go. But, you know, the stadium, as you said, needs a lot of work. It's interesting. Ordinarily, I'd have said that
1: I think it, need, it needs both. From, normally, I'd have said it needs the, invest, the investment in the infrastructure first that as as much money as the Newcastle might have, they're so far behind your Chelsea and your Man City, uh, Liverpool in terms of management structure, in terms of the way that the clubs are run. Um, it took City a long time to really get to the position where they're happy with the way that the club has run. It's taken Chelsea years to get to this model of their, their farms, of kids who they sell every cup, you know, Tammy Abraham and... Uh, tamori over the summer to fund lukaku newcastle aren't obviously going to be there yet they're not going to have the management expertise of of running a club so they certainly need that infrastructure but this is almost their opportunity they've got because of the way that the premier league's profits and sustainability rules work they can make a maximum loss of 105 million over a rolling three-year period now, the last three years, because Mike Ashley has obviously not spent a huge amount, they have made profit. They've made they've got accumulated um profit and sustainability of, of around 90 million, I think is the, the estimate. Um, so they've got that profit in their back pocket plus the allowed 105 million pounds. So they, they could but, net they could net roughly two hundred plus million spent. Yeah, on top of what they're already spending. Yeah. And obviously, if you delay it a year, then you lose one year of profitability off the Three years ago, they had a profitable year. So if you roll it on 12 months, that year drops off the equation.
0: So this is where the transfer window really fucks people like this, right? Because, you know, well, I don't know, maybe it does or maybe it doesn't. But right now, you can do all your your pre-prep work, I'm sure. But really, you can't do anything until July in terms of the accounting period. So... Ideally, if you didn't have the transfer window, you can come in now and take advantage of these things you just said. But they actually going to be six months, so they can really do something about that.
1: Well, they—they, they, I mean, they will be able to take advantage of it in January
0: because okay. the, it's the 3 previous pre—the
1: three previous years, and that's the last year that we've got is the previous year pre-COVID. It's the season that was curtailed. Yeah. Um. So we don't have the last COVID season where I'm assuming they'll probably have made a loss, like virtually every club has done, but um, COVID reduced revenues and COVID losses are allowed as part of the as part of the regulations. So J- January, you'd have thought they're going to spend money, and I guess from what you're we talking about before about it being three hundred million. I guess the big risk is if they go down, that value diminishes rapidly.
0: Yeah, because like you know, just just on a simple mathematics, you you will have played more than a third of the games by. January well more than I think almost a half the case by January um, they're not in the best position uh, probably they've got loads of money as we all know it won't be hard to attract players but to get them you know let's talk the sort of anecdotally hard to get them to bed in and all of that stuff um, you don't actually have that much time so it's no. quite an interesting strategy to look at isn't it
1: yeah and it I was I was looking back reminding myself of what City did, and when they were taken over in their first year, they brought in
0: they kind of went for the extravagant players Robinho, Mark Hughes. I think is the most was it Mark Hughes as the manager yeah, when they took he over? Was, yeah, and Robinho was about 30 million pounds. I think that's just from yeah. from memory. But uh, then the following season, their strategy
1: completely changed. They signed Gareth Barry, yeah. Jodian Lescott, um, Carlos Tevez, Colo Torre, Adebayor, play, Patrick Vieira, players from. Premier League clubs, essentially.
0: Yeah, and up signing. It's really interesting about City that when you think of uh, obviously Vincent Company was an amazing signing, full stop, but even the year they signed Frank Lampard for that one season, it, it it was about I you know, again, this gets away from the finance, but it's about putting a team out on the pitch that other people will think, oh shit, they've got really good players, rather than. There's a really amazing, talented dude. If someone, oh, this is Frank Lampard, this is Vincent Company, this is Gareth Barrett, you know, people that have played hundreds of games. Um, it'd be very interesting. Based on also, the other thing is, I mean, as much as these people have been floating around Newcastle for, for, for some time now, they've also been floating around other football clubs. Um, I wonder if they have, you know, maybe, maybe you know more than me, I wonder if they have a kind of idea about what they want to do on the pitch to to get some consistency before they then go or don't go crazy with the money
1: yeah I mean it'd be really
0: interesting because
1: you'd have thought that I mean I don't know what their their the level of football expertise they will have in the club will be Um, there's been talk of Lucian Farber I think coming to of football which would seem to be a, a sensible strategy to get to get someone in along those lines because what you don't want you know you mentioned i think you said on um whatever it was the selection of potential players you don't want someone taking a fantasy football approach to it you know a fifa approach to it where they just pick this player and this play you go they're going to need someone to be able to um manage you know to manage the team and to bed players in you'd have thought you you don't necessarily want a new manager and five or six new players all coming in at what could potentially be quite a precarious time in January, um, yeah. when if they're not clear of the relegation zone, I mean, I've seen better teams in Newcastle get, get
0: relegated. Well, absolutely. absolutely. And the interesting thing from an investment and financial point of view here is that you've got a very short-term problem to deal with. And thereafter, you buy yourself some breathing space. But if they were in the, I maybe they're in the top six or top eight now, there's a bit of not, they don't really have any breathing space, so it's a question of what you do. And as you know, as everyone knows, you can't really just buy players to to, to solve a problem early on. Um, so it'd be fascinating. Now just uh, just to dial back to the finances for for one second, you know, in slightly more granular detail. Um, we spoke about how they can invest X because of them being in reasonably financial stead compared to many others and compared to most of the 92 league clubs, they're probably doing really well. Um, Do you think that plays a big part in the investment decision as well? Because obviously they're not picking up loads of debt because Ashley kind of took care of that. Do you think that, you know, when you're looking at investing in the clubs, like quite a big thing, so obviously you're picking up something clean, but you don't have that whole thing hanging over you
1: I mean, I guess if they, they they'd have cleared the debt anyway, if there was any, I don't think there'd have been any, any real issue with that. Would um, so I don't think it's like you know you get um, Barry or something where the new guy comes in and can't those debts are then overhanging, hanging over the, the new owner.
0: Well, that's the um, great example, isn't it? You know, it's not the same level, but that yeah. that club is the great example of that is that they couldn't find the investment, obviously because the revenues aren't there anyway. But you've got this big millstone around your neck
1: so I'm, I'm sure that any debt if newcastle had had debts then the new owners would have been perfectly fine to clear those as as, as, soon, as soon as possible i guess it's one thing they don't have to they didn't have to worry about but if they've got the i guess we don't know how much they're prepared to put into
0: i'm going to say do you think this, that 300 million pound valuation that's in the paper is accurate as in yeah, the evaluation the the acquisition cost Do you think that's yeah. accurate
1: I mean, I guess I, guess so. I don't have any reason to, to think that it wouldn't be, So you'd have thought that the fact that they are in the relegate, or very close to the relegation zone, if not in the relegation zone, is a risk, because they could see the value of Newcastle plummet in six months' time if they get relegated, and we've seen clubs spend an awful lot of money in those leagues below and not get out of it, I mean, look at the, the mess that Derby are in at the moment, coming from spending huge amounts of money to try and Pay their way out the championship. So I'd have thought that the fact that they are there is a you know a relative chance that they might get relegated to probably played a part in the the price.
0: What uh, Tom? You probably know more than most. The value. I mean, it's it's the wrong word. Uh, what's the monetary value of the balloon payment going down at the moment? You know, is it is it still what it was a few years ago? Because well, if you keep ballooning up and down. You know, you don't do too bad out of it if you can keep coming back up and down. But if you're Newcastle, you've been in the league now for what seven years since they last got relegated, something like that.
1: Yeah, the the, the parachute payment. I can't. I not I, mean, like, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly exactly what it is. But that. I mean, the thing with with the, with the parachute payments is that it's you. It's funny. You always, when um, I mentioned I'm a Wolves supporter when Wolves last got relegated. People viewed the parachute payments as additional money coming in and were saying, Well, why aren't you spending that money? And it's not additional money coming in. It's trying to replace some of the huge amounts of revenue that you've that lost. That, yeah. you know, like we mentioned before, you get 100 million guaranteed just for being in the Premier League from the TV rights. Well, that falls to 10 million or so in the Championship. So those parachute payments aren't additional money. They just allow clubs to get relegated without going bust basically
0: yeah yeah actually when you put it like that it's pretty brutal isn't it i mean it's not i mean it's not the worst case scenario but you know what you're missing out on you're not doing again for the second year because just when club gets relegated
1: lots of their their revenues fall but lots of their costs will still be the same the mm-hmm. of players you've got you know that's not to pay, pay their players some of them will have um um clauses that reduce their wages on relegation but it's not, it's not guaranteed as Wolves got relegated two seasons in a row and the club never imagined we'd get relegated into League One and so didn't have clauses for relegation into League One. And if you're a Premier League club, I, I don't know to what extent all those players have those clauses because you're trying to entice them to join you. So perhaps a player won't sign a contract if they're going to halve their wages on relegation.
0: I don't think so, uh, or they'll have a, a very fixed um, uh, part of the contract that allows them to leave. Um, I, but more importantly, as, as you mentioned, is your commercial revenues. I mean, your, your 10 or 12 commercial partners aren't going to pay the same money <laughs> for, getting, for going down and not being on Sky Sports anymore right. five times, six times a year, whatever it is. Um, so, OK, let's just go on to that briefly, because this is you know, part of the world I live in and uh, probably some of you come across quite a lot. Where do you think Newcastle United as a brand can go commercially? We've got we've had great examples in the last two years. What's, you know, we've got two probably really good examples. We've got City Football Group and we've got PSG, both bought by, um, if you like, Gulf States. Uh, one has an incredible brand and a tie-up for Air Jordan the rest uh, City a bit weird don't seem to have loads of fan power but are building clubs all around the world what do you think Newcastle United can do commercially to make themselves basically popular again?
1: It's a re- really good question because I guess part of the difficulty is that Saudi Arabia is coming at it from a lower position than Qatar or UAE, um, that it's got far far more negative press coming into it than than those those two have. I mean, I don't know how many people change planes in one of those in either Doha or Dubai. Anyone going?
0: Well, Dubai, Dubai is now it, it, it took over from Chicago is the busiest airport in the world I mean people going out there every day and everyone knows Emirates because it's just all over the place right
1: absolutely so that those those two countries are, were almost within the public consciousness and anyway and some some negative things obviously especially with with Qatar but also some positive things and just that brand recognition that they all they already have whereas if anyone really thought about Saudi Arabia before, I guess it was those ethical issues that, you know, as far, as far as I know, there aren't flights that change in, in Saudi Arabia, for example, it's, you know, you don't get people. They obviously have tried to do things over the last few years, especially with sports. You've got Anthony Joshua fighting over there last year. And there was the, uh, the first formula one race this year. there has been the rumors of a, a world cup bid for 2030 with,
0: Italy, yeah, Formula E and Riyadh as well. Yeah, they've definitely yeah. look. They've definitely invested heavily, uh, and WWE was there too, which is is a really big thing for US pay per view. Um, but actually, very really interesting to think, you know, commercial partner wise, you know, not loads will run a mile, but you know, I know talking to big, big commercial brands and their involvement with in sport, and especially like to take through horse racing they're so worried about like, public perception, whether, you know, horse racing, gambling, equine welfare, the rest. You know, do they really want, do many of these big brands want to be involved in these sort of conversations? You know, and that's the kind of worry. Uh, but maybe, much like Man City, they don't rely on their commercial partnerships, they just rely on their own partnership. Well, yeah, I mean, it would
1: surprise me to, to see some um, other um pif investments on the on the fronts of newcastle's shirt next season or exactly you know name naming rights of the stadium or the training ground like you know everton have done um but yeah I, i can well see domestic partners um at least using it perhaps as a way to raise awareness things like we saw in um obviously of a lesser extent but in the euros with the um, the rainbow adverts that were being played at some of the games that were being played in Hungary and whether it will be seen as an opportunity for that sort of thing perhaps um, I guess it'll be interesting to see not away from Newcastle but what the commercial partners do in Qatar mm-hmm. next year whether it's just your bog standards commercial deals and you just have your Coca-Cola advert with whichever players are Sponsored by by Coke by this time next year, or whether they try and go down a slightly more CSR raising awareness route, I can I can well, well imagine current companies UK based companies anyway looking to move away slightly from from Newcastle at the moment.
0: The interesting thing is though, I mean, I, I, I agree with you, um, but of course, you know, like any investment from a from a sort of state body. It's a long-term thing, right? So they're not here for two, three years. And then to flip it on, I mean, this is going to be a 10-plus-year you know, year investment to grow the Newcastle United brand. So it'd be very interesting to see how, particularly if, if Amanda Staveley is going to be the, well, I know she's going to be the chairwoman, but essentially the, the, the poster person for this football club, how she deals with that over 10 or 50 years. Because financially, it's a really big thing. There's so many people that won't even entertain the conversation but of course they don't need them to if they're allowed to invest the money as you uh, well put earlier in the way they can without being penalized and um, just on that note just before we we close up, do you think uh, this is only your opinion but do you think this is going to be like a man's city or do you think it's going to be like a roman or do you think this is going to be a bit of a slower burner I think that when the when the group took over City,
1: that was an ideal opportunity because you had Arsenal somewhat on the decline, Liverpool were going through a bad period, yeah. Spurs hadn't really cracked anything by that point. And so there was only really, I guess, Chelsea who always fluctuated at that sort of stage and United, Ferguson was coming towards the end. And so City kind of, when they took over City, there was a real opportunity there for where it could make a real difference. But I think, I, I generally think now that the, what the football infrastructure and the management infrastructure and the expertise at Chelsea, Liverpool, City, mean that they've got such a competitive advantage over, over Newcastle, and the Newcastle aren't going to be able to get close to what those clubs have got at the moment anyway. I mean, I guess we don't know what happens if Klopp is Liverpool or... Um, for example, whether, whether they'd have that same sort of succession planning that other clubs uh, have managed. But we've got effect- effectively three of the best five clubs in the world playing in the Premier League, which means it's tough for Newcastle to catch them. There's lots of good clubs in that level below. Um, Spurs, Arsenal, Leicester. Um, and so that's going to that's make it difficult immediately and I also, I'm, I'm, something I've, I've been trying to think about over the last few days is when football players are earning the huge amounts of money they're earning anyway how much more does would it take to tip the scale to take them to Newcastle rather
0: than going to Manchester United? Sure. So, For the really good players that's absolutely right because the really good players as we know their egos are not you know most of them obviously move for money but the really good players don't want to be not playing in some form of European competition and most of them want to play in the Champions League and their commercial partners their individual endorsement deals rely on that too and I think football fans don't realise that well why wouldn't they come to us well you know if you've got a boot deal with Adidas it's worth 25% more when you're playing in the Champions League than when you're not at all so it's quite a big consideration and as you say, they're starting from scratch. I think the, the best point you made there, and again, as a Spurs fan, I can relate this, is that actually the top four or five clubs, apart from Arsenal that have fallen away, have generally got stronger. So yeah. it's almost not how good you are, it's how bad are they going to be. So we've had 10 years of Manchester United being average, but they're still, they're still pretty good. Liverpool, Chelsea, obviously Manchester City, have gone flying through the roof. So no matter how good you are, these guys <laughs> have to be worse. And so actually, and then you talk about Leicester and, you know, Villa and, and even Wolves and teams that have got money to invest. Like, it's not that easy just to buy your way into the top four anymore, is it? No, it's it's not like a
1: PSG type thing, no. right? PSG were already a strong team in that league. And, the, you know, there's no one else in the French league now who, who compares where, There might not be clubs who've got the same amount of of money as Newcastle, but they've got a lot of other advantages that Newcastle Newcastle don't have.
0: I I think, and let's just sort of close it out. I I personally, and and I think it will be a bit of a slow burner, but obviously Newcastle United fans would suggest over the last few years, they've not improved the team at all or just scraped it. I think they'll obviously now be able to buy some players to improve the team. Who those players are, we don't know. But I don't think it's going to be like the old days where you know, they're suddenly buying Neymar and Messi and the rest of them. I don't think that's going to be the case. But I think they'll, they'll creep up and they'll be able to pick up players that maybe previously they wouldn't have, have even looked at. Now they're going to look you know, maybe more ambitiously.
1: I mean, I'm potentially looking at where i'm thinking what i'd be looking at if i was then would be who are the, the good players from that 7th to 10th range in the premier league
0: so ruben neves and uh Adama and Traore, yeah
1: basically <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know pl- players like that you know perhaps uh richardson or sure. yeah. you know pl- players like that who are already in the country who who know the league i can imagine that given there'll be more talk about Newcastle as a club for those players than there would have been for signing a player from Italy or from Spain. So those players will be more aware of what's going on and what the the potential is. And there's probably more chance of them achieving their sporting aims with Newcastle than, you know, it pains me to say, you know, Ruben Neves probably more likely to be playing in the Champions League with Newcastle than he would be. Yeah, maybe. With wolves.
0: But again, it comes back down to how they set the whole thing up. Obviously, they got the they gave Steve Bruce the dreaded vote of confidence he'll be in the technical area this weekend. Um, which is playing Spurs away, uh, which is dreadful for him. Uh he'll obviously won't stay around, I don't think. I think we all know that. But then it, it depends how they set up the the uh, the football club going forward. Um yeah, look, it's all really interesting stuff and uh, it would be great to uh, maybe do this chat again in a year's time and see where we think they've gone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It'd be really inter- It'd be fasc- fascinating to uh, give me lots and lots of ideas to talk to my students about, lots of case studies, lots of uh, inf- interesting information going on.
0: Yeah, so just before we go, Tom, why don't you explain to our, our, our halls of listeners what you do do in your day-to-day life? Uh, yeah,
1: my day-to-day... Life. I'm a lecturer in sport management at Coventry University so sport management course is largely business business management but taught in the context of sport so sport finance is one of the modules um, that we that we have and other various sport policy modules sport governance so this will be providing lots and lots of case studies up and down all the all our modules I think this year
0: Great. Okay. Well, look, mate, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, It's great fun to talk about. And, uh, yeah, let's try and do it in a year's time and see where they're at. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Thank you so much. Bye.